Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day, Lord. We thank you uh, for, the, for this book of Genesis, Lord, this, this story of beginnings and the things that you created. Um, Father, we thank you for this foundational book. We pray uh, that as we uh, transition um, from these first 11 chapters where we see the, uh, the creation of the universe, the creation of mankind, and these, these significant events that happened in early uh, human history, uh, and transition to the four patriarchs, Father, we pray that you would um, lead us over the next few months as we focus on, on Abram and his life and his faith. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would help us to see the things that you desire us to see in your word. May your spirit lead us and guide us as we uh, look at this passage today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moriah. Now the Canaanite, the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give you give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. And Father, we do ask that you would lead us now. Help us as we uh, work our way through the story. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as we sort of reintroduce ourselves to the story last week, I had this, this map behind us. Um, I will refer to locations one, two, three, four as I go through there so I don't have to have a pointer. Um, we, we find ourselves, I have in my notes, to move quickly. Um, not to get sidetracked. Um, in the first couple of verses, we have what was referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. It's sort of the introduction of the Abrahamic covenant. It's this promise that God gave to Abraham that revolved around three things, namely uh, that a nation would come through Abraham, the nation of Israel, that Abraham would be blessed, and that uh, nations would be blessed depending on how they related to this nation of Israel. If they blessed Israel, they would be blessed. If they cursed Israel, they would be cursed. And so this, this covenant that God makes, it's introduced in chapter 12, the first couple of verses, and then it's ratified and sort of placed into order in chapter 15. So, so over the next couple of chapters, this covenant is that Abraham's going to kind of be stretched, and, and he's going to demonstrate faith, he's going to demonstrate mistakes, and then finally God's going inter- to introduce this. So we know, you can go back to last Sunday, that's my, my way out of going over all the details. It's, it's believed from Acts chapter 7 that God actually called Abram while they were down at location number one. He was supposed to go, leave his family, leave his people, and go to this place that he would show them. They made their way to Haran, location number two. 
at location number two. This is where Abram is when we read uh, chapter 12, the first few verses. And so the, the call is given to Abram there, this Abrahamic covenant. Uh, we learn from the end of Joshua that while they were there, Abram had his, his dad who had just passed away. They were pagans. They were worshiping the local gods. They were not walking with God. And God sort of re-gives this, this, this commandment to go to leave his people. And so we pick up our story in verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. So they're at location two. They're going to make their way south to modern-day Israel, location number three. Today's story is going to progress um, all the way down to location number four uh, into Egypt. And so as I look at the story, and I've been reflecting uh, about Genesis chapter 12, one of the issues or one of the things that surfaces in my mind that I hear from people all the time that I've grappled with that's not past tense, that I grapple with. (laughs) We all grapple with, like knowing and understanding the will of God. Like what does God want from us? And as we feel God lead us, what does that look like? Over the years of my life, I've I've come to understand at least one thing, that God doesn't reveal this through skywriting. Like it's not obvious. It's always, it's rarely obvious. It's, huh, I have this thought and it seems kind of, weird. Like I remember the first time early in my Christian life, it was like, hey, you're supposed to leave the military. I'm like, yeah, I got 12 years. God, you, you understand the retirement system in the military? Like, <laughs> do you know my dad? My dad was a financial advisor. And it's like, so you want me to go tell my dad that, uh, that I'm going to walk away eight years away from a full retirement at 38 years old. Yeah, that's what I want you to do. I'm like, well, can I think about this? Sure, take your time, you know, but it's going to, like, this is what I want you to do. And you're, at the end of the day, you're going to come to this conclusion. I can say that looking backwards. Um, during this same time, this girl appeared in my life. And it's like, what, what's supposed to happen with this girl that I met? It, it's Anna, my wife. So just, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just, uh, we don't, I don't get myself too far down a trail trying to mess with y'all and get myself in trouble. But it was like, am I supposed to marry this person? Is this supposed to happen? Uh, during this time, I thought it'd be great to run my first marathon in Denver, you know, the Mile High City, which was another bad idea. And so while running uh, a marathon in La Mesa, there was like a ton of old people's homes. Like everywhere, you, every corner you went to, there was like a retirement home. And I felt this feeling, you're supposed to go teach a Bible study in a retirement home. And, and so then training for this marathon, I would go, well, I'm going to take a different path because I don't want to run by that retirement home because when I go by that t- retirement home, I get a feeling that I'm supposed to do something there. So I'm going to go a different direction. And it turns out the other direction, there was like three more retirement homes. And so I'm like doing circles through La Mesa trying to avoid retirement homes. Finally, I go, I guess I'm supposed to teach a Bible study retirement home. I'm a Navy SEAL, never taught a Bible study before in my entire life. I don't even know how to begin this process, and so I decided to go the path which I think will result in me being able to be obedient and to call God's bluff. So I call the lady who took care of my grandpa who had a retirement home, and I said, I got a crazy thought. I know you're going to say no because, you know, church and state and stuff, like you can't, I just, you know, I just want to be obedient to God and uh, feel like he wants me to teach a Bible study at at a retirement home, expecting her to say, oh, I'm sorry, you can't do this. She said, oh, the Shangri-La, I got a location 
you can, can you come this Wednesday? Oh, no. <laughs> so that's how I ended up here, which is another step of faith coming from Lace to the Valley Center, which I grew up in. It's like, where's Valley Center? Feeling like God wants me to be here, and now we're at like the 15-year anniversary of my being up here to see like that God's leading. Like there's been these, these moments in my life where I sense that God is like, hey, I want you to do this. And then how, how do we process this? And so it happened to me again last Sunday. Like just this, this whole week, has, my week has been sort of like thrown upside down. No worry, it's not bad. Like this isn't like this isn't like where I resign or something. Like this isn't like I I I go home from church thinking about this section, Abraham being told to go to this unknown location, to this unknown place. And so I'm just out like tinkering in my yard, uh, and Anna comes up and I'm like, I think I'm supposed to go to Romania. And Anna's like, dude, go. She said it in her own words. That's my translation. And <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know, you know, my dad in the retirement home, this doesn't make sense. John Johnson just happens to text me, and I'm like, hey, can you pray? I think I got this weird thought. He's like, don't say no to God. And I'm like, that's not what I want to hear, you know? It's like, that's like, a... and, then, and then Monday morning, Anna's like, I really think you should go. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm looking at the calendar, but when can I go? I can't, like, and she's like, I don't know. So I'm like, well, I'll go to Google, see how Google leads into, like, deciphering the will of God. And so I go, like, I go look at the flight prices. I'm like, oh, none of the prices work out, except for like down in November and then like in 10 days. In 10 days, there's a round-trip flight to Romania for like 700 bucks. I'm like, ah. And Anna's like, go. And I'm like, stop it. Like, leave me alone. Like, I, like, and then, and I'm like, but my dad, like my, for those of you that don't know, don't know my dad's like, you know, 87 years old with Alzheimer's early stage is still functioning in a retirement home. I'm like his like safety net. And I call him like, dad, like, hey, I got this like crazy thought. And how do you, like, what do you think? I'm kind of considering going to visit my friend in, in Ukraine. Or not Ukraine, sorry. That's next door to Ukraine. He's dealing with Ukrainians. And my dad's like, Go. He's like, how much is a ticket? $4,000? I'm like, well, that's the crazy thing. They're like, they're like $700, $800 like right now to go in 10 days. My dad's going, I'm treating, go. And I was like, he sees it as some like military operation. He's like, this is awesome. Like, go, like, I'll, I'll, like, I'll be fine. And so then I'm like, okay, well, I can see on Delta Airlines, if I pay like $100 more for $800, I can get like, I can get the guaranteed, I can cancel the ticket kind of thing. So that's the one I go with. Wednesday morning, I show up at men's prayer meeting, and I'm like, hey, guys. And then Rick here, we have a conflict of, a conflict of memory. I think he said, can I go? He says, Did I, do you want to go? But so he shows up at men's prayer me- meeting, and then with an hour later, he has like a ticket to go to Romania with me. <laughs> like, welcome to the following God's lead here. And uh, just talking with Chris, it's just like, no, he's like, the part I skipped over was like November or like in two weeks. And I feel like God's like, Chris is like working 16 hours a day in this war-torn area dealing with like, you need to go there to support them now. And so I'm going to leave from like a Tuesday to Tuesday. It'll be a really fast trip. but, But it's like, when I look at this passage, so Abram went forth 
As the Lord had spoken him, Lot went with him. This is this beginning. God says, hey, I'm, I want you to go somewhere. I want you to leave your family. I want you to ditch your excuses. I, I'll, I'll fill in the details later. You don't need those. And I, I am completely in the belief that God desires us to have our faith stretched. He places these things before us. It might start out as like, a, I have this really weird feeling. Is there anything that violates scripture with this feeling? Like it might be like, eh, the Bible doesn't support that move. You might contact people that know the Lord, walk with the Lord and say, what do you think about this thought? What's your react? What do you think about this? But I'm convinced that God places things before us that make us really nervous and really scared. And we can think of all the reasons that we, we shouldn't or can't or, or do this. But he, he gives us these moments of these opportunities to say, yes, Lord, or no, thank you, Lord. And as we say, yes, I'll do it, Lord, we step out by faith and fear, and then it ultimately it grows our faith and it grows our intimacy with God and we become closer with him. And we see him like do like really hard things. Rachel says she's an open book, so I didn't ask permission. But this week we are like, God has been doing a work in this lady's life, like in significant, like, can I tell like a little bit of the whole story? Not, not present time. Like she's, she says she's an open book. <laughs> so, but about eight years ago, Rachel came to me with a problem. The church responded and we helped. The next time I saw her, she said, my plan was to kill myself. After I walked away, my plan was to kill myself. I was coming to you to make peace with God. And then God has done like this like tremendous work in her life. And he's thrown her another, like, another little hurdle this weekend. And then so she talks to me. She's like, I talked to my friend. And my friend got me to laugh by saying, well, God's been working on you first. You killed a spider. Then you rescued a possum. And now you have this. And it's like, that's kind of what God does is he stretches us, but like maybe it's like one little thing and it just seems like super, super crazy and like, God, how can I do this? And then you do it and then God proves to be faithful and he's like, and you grow closer to him. And then you grow comfortable with that. So then God's like, okay, you're getting kind of comfortable. I'm going to do this to you or present this growth opportunity to you. And so here we see in this story, Abram's presented with this opportunity. The background story is, this really is the follow-up. God gave it to him at location number one. He makes it way to number, location number two. At location number two, God gives him another opportunity. We're going to see Abram move by faith down to location three. Then we're going to see him kind of like his faith get rattled, and he's going to kind of go out on his own in his flesh at location number four. But then we see God being very gracious with him and moving him back into the, that spot of faith. And I just love this story. And so my prayer is that as God leads you, as you begin to feel like him saying, you know what, like I, I, I need to like start teaching or participating or being at church or getting baptized or like whatever the blank is that God's doing in your life, that you would come to the place with like, like Lord, here's my life. Like if this is what you want, I'm going to go. And so Abraham went and we're told that Abraham was 75 years old. Let's not get lost in the age. This is like early during creation, the life. Exp- so he's like middle-aged um, during this point. He's, he's 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, who was like his son, like his, his, his dad, Abram's brother, died, and Abram sort of adopts Lot in a way. So he takes Lot, his nephew, nephew and all their possessions, which they had, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. That's location number three. Thus, thus they came to the land of Canaan. So they, they're moving from their, their world of comfort to the world of the unknown uncomfortableness, but faith and trusting God, not knowing the future. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Mareh. So we're down in the bubble here. There's a bunch of little names. We're seeing that he's moving, moving in a southerly direction. Then we read, now the Canaanite was in the land. I don't know if you've noticed this, but previously they set out for the land of Canaan. They came to the land of Canaan. The Canaanites are in the land. This is like they set out for Italy. They went to Italy, and then there were Italians in the land. This is kind of what's being said here. Not a big deal to us. But when you look at the bigger story, if we were to go back to Genesis chapter 9, verses 27, we see this flow of genealogy between Shem and Ham. Which one's the bad one? Ham, remember, Jewish. Ham is bad. Ham, bad. Ham is bad. That's, that's how I remember. Welcome to my brain. That's how I remember things. So Ham was, the, was one of Noah's sons. When his dad had a little incident, he went in there, was trying to make fun of his dad with his brothers, and he, his dad cursed him. In 927, he says, cursed be the, the Canaanites. Those are his descendants. So you follow this all the way down to the, the Canaanites. Shem was blessed. Shem follows all the way to Abraham. From Abraham, the promise is unleashed. Now Abraham is going to the land where the Canaanites are. God has promised the land of the Canaanites who are cursed to Shem's descendants, which is seen in, in Abraham. So this is scary. He's in enemy territory. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give you this land. He's like, look around. This land, the Canaanite land, it's yours. It's your descendants. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He makes this sort of like this, this, this item, this altar to show and to remember that what God had said and what God had promised is sort of the mile marker. So in the midst of his fear, his concern, his not knowing what the future holds, God shows up, gives him assurance. He documents it by building an altar. Now, we don't build, alt- we don't build altars today. Um, I recommend things like journaling. I'm super bad at journaling. Um, if you're lazy and you don't like journaling, well, you can do like Facebook memories. Like you can post it and then like two years later, like, oh yeah, I remember when God did that because it reminds you. Like I'm not endorsing Facebook or whatever, but this is like just telling you my lazy journaling. And, and as we document these things, we can go back and rem- remind ourselves of like God's faithfulness. Like what God did, how we were challenged in that moment, and then as you get down the road, you see how God used it. A couple weeks ago, we decided that we were going to, I don't even know how the purge happened, but it was like we need to like fix the bookshelf. I think I got the ball rolling and then Anna went to town. And then all of a sudden, Grace is like on the couch cracking up. And I'm like, why are you laughing? And she's like, I found this book. I'm like, oh yeah, that's one of my journals. Like I have about 10 different journals with one page of writing in them. And then I kind of like forget about it. And so she found the one journal where I was like 
like journaling to God, I was, cons- I was questioning, wondering whether I was supposed to marry this girl, Anna. And so she's like totally giggling, like, Dad, look at you. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't always like old from your, like I was like your age once. And, and then Anna's like, if you like that one, I got this notebook with all of our like email communications. And so Grace is making fun of us. And I'm glad that I did that. I'm glad I had these moments of documenting stuff because it's like, I do remember that time. I remember being terrified of like getting married. I remember being terrified of like doing these things, but I had documented it so that now 20 years later I can look back and go, oh yeah, I remember and God has been so faithful. And I do think this is a a good practice. So you can build an altar if you want or you can journal, but I do think when God moves, write it down. Like do something so that you can remember and look back upon it. Verse eight, then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. This is like midway through the bubble of question number three up there. Uh, He built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the Lord. So Abram seems to be walking through the land of Canaan, erecting altars, sort of saying, God has given me this land. I'm in enemy territory. I'm I'm scared. I don't think that's a word, but I'm afraid. And I'm going to place this altar. I'm remembering what God says. I have no idea how he's going to do it. I have my nephew Lot. My wife can't have children. I trust God and I'm going to just, I'm going through the land and I'm putting these little like mile markers reminding myself that God has promised this land to us. Verse nine, Abram journeyed on continuing to the Negev. He's going to continue going to the south and at this point, most commentators believe that Abram is going to drift from walking by faith to then walking by the flesh. And this isn't like a once and done. This isn't like you walk by faith one day and then you're good for the rest of your life. God wants us walking by faith daily. And you can do something great one day and then two weeks from now or the next day or the next moment totally be in the flesh and not trusting God. And I think this is sort of the line in the sand. And so from verse 10, sort of through the end of where we're going today, we see this sort of departure. And it begins with verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. And so Abram went down to Egypt and he sojourned there for the famine was severe in the land. So severity of the famine. We as Americans don't understand famines. Like this is like, I'm as guilty as you all. Like I'm an American. Like I, we, I've, I've, if I've missed a meal, it's normally because I meant to or something happened, but I've always been able to make up that meal. Like, and so I read a book a few years ago, Misinterpreting Scripture Through Western Eyes. And, and these guys, these researchers, these missionaries, they were teaching and they, they wanted to teach a, 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 like a Bible study Um, over the prodigal son that goes out. And so they did it in a lecture hall with 100 students, and there were like 99 Americans or 97 Americans and three people from Africa. And part of the exercise was like, okay, read the story as many times as you can. Now close your books. Now I want you to write out the story. And so then what caught their attention was not one of the Americans in telling the story documented that there was a famine. The three Africans began the story of their recounting of the story that there was a famine during this whole time. And so their whole perspective was skewed, and they're like, that's very interesting. And then years later, they found themselves in Africa where the numbers were were reversed, that there were 97 Africans and there were three Americans, and they said they did the same exercise. All 97 Africans started the story from the premise of there was a famine because they'd experienced a famine. We, like... 
I'm not like closest we've come to a famine was a toilet paper situation of 2020. <laughs> like, like I, I think that that's the that's the closest we came to like panic about like. I'm not making eye contact with anybody, but we know like those days it was ruthless. <laughs> I remember when when you could just go to the store and buy toilet paper. Like I mean, we were we were willing for single ply during the, the famine days. And so there's a famine. Abram is like, this is food, sustenance, how you care for yourself. And this is another opportunity that Abram has an opportunity to respond by faith or by flesh. And it seems that he's going the way of flesh. And so verse 11, it came when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, um, well, I'll just, let me just pause it near Egypt. So they make their way down to number four. Before you get like the, the pyramids in your mind and desert and desolate, you need to realize that up by the water, it's a very fertile area. This is a beautiful part of the world that's lush and green. The area of Cana, Canaan is like deserty and dry. Uh, any trees that are there, it's because Israel has planted and created an environment uh, that's not natural to the environment. Down on this uh, you know, if you watch TV and you see the pillow guy talk about where his stuff comes from, the Giza area, like this is the fertile land that he refers to. That's free of charge. Um, and so they're going down there because he's like, if I go there, there's going to be food, resources, and I can take care of myself and my family. But he's concerned also, he's got to come up with a plan. It came about when he came near Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see, now I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. As we get into this section, there's so many questions, and I'm limited on time. I can't go into all of them. I'm going to acknowledge them because Abram does some stuff that's like, what are you doing? And I would say that God agrees with you. But when we operate in the flesh and we try to come up with plans in our own minds, it seems good at the time, but it's not good. Um, there, there, there's, a, there's a lot here. The thrust, I think, of this that we can all agree upon, and I think is the, the message of this, is Abram cares about numero uno. He's most concerned about himself. He's not concerned about Sarah. He's not concerned about Pharaoh. He's not concerned about anybody else. He's concerned about himself. He doesn't want to die. He wants it to go well with himself. When I look at his concerns, he does what we all do, or he does what I do. I don't want to project it on you. He's not even concerned about a real threat. What he's concerned about, what might happen. They will say, they haven't said, they will say this, and they will kill me. He, they didn't try to kill him. He's, he's in his mind imagining. And if you're not like me with the gift of worry, that was my spiritual gift, I can like worry about the future and all the things that could possibly happen. And, and that's a lesson that God has to continually repeat Upon me. Now, that first, like I, I mentioned the Shangri La. I think I, I did mention the Shangri La, my marathon trying to get away from the old person's home. So, the very first day, Anna is like, This is a wonderful idea. I'll bring my guitar, I'll sing. And I'm like, oh, what, I, Do I really want to marry this girl? Like, I just don't know, you know? Like, she's like, I love old people. This is like fantastic. I, this is awesome. We knock on the door. Hi, my name is Gunnar. This is my friend, Anna. And we're here to teach a Bible study. Maureen, 97-year-old lady, answers the door and says, I've been praying for three years for somebody to come teach a Bible study. And I'm thinking, I'm sorry you got me, lady, because I don't know what I'm doing. And like, 
But so when I think about Maureen, 97 years, she's like, do you remember the flood in L.A. in 1934? I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> and like from this, she's like, I've always said, wait to worry. Wait to worry because it, it almost never comes about. And I'm like, but does it, but maybe, maybe you're making a case that worrying works. And she's like, nah, that's not what I'm saying. We like to worry about things and they never come about. And I'm so guilty of this. And so he's, he's, he's worried about what might happen. Not that it's actually happened. And he's totally self-focused. That's completely obvious. So he says to her in verse 13, please say that you are my sister, which is a half-truth. They have the same father. They have different mothers. You have to remember this is before the law. This is early in human history where God hadn't sort of like said, hey, the, the rules for marrying, and th- that hadn't happened yet. So he's married to his half-sister, which was totally fine and not like during this setting in history, human history, it's fine. Um, Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me and that I may live on account of you. He is totally concerned about himself. He's, he's not looking at the big, bigger situation. He's not looking at God. And so much of, of uh, this passage today, and I feel like what God has been churning within me over the last couple, couple weeks is that it's time to like for me to kind of shift my focus again. So when we went into COVID, things got real serious really fast like from the church. Like, like how are we going to meet? How are we going to gather and there was a season where it's like, okay, if you wanted to come to church, you had to have a reservation. And we had the seats all. So we were doing like four services. People were coming in with their tickets and when they could come and not go. And it was like, I remember me and Melanie just kind of talking like, hey, right now <clears throat> we need to turn our attention to like outreach of the community. This is about caring like for our body within and how are we going to navigate this and care for this? It has to be this way. Now we're coming out of this and I feel like God's like kicking me in the rear and saying it's time for you to start getting back to where your like portfolio of service is, is balanced where you're caring for the flock but you're also being an example and you're getting out and you're serving. And so I'm going to send you to Romania. He's been turning me to like reactivate in my service with the, the police department and ride-alongs. He's like Daniel for years has been like Camp Julian Oaks, this like outreach program, this camp for kids that are in the foster care system. Very difficult for me as a kid that was abused and to, to go back into this. But I feel like God's like, hey, it's time for you to go and start serving and start like getting outward because I need to do some stuff in your life. And I, so I'm waiting to see what God's going to do in my life. But I do know that God wants us to stretch us. There's a song by Keith Green, a line in it. Um, I want to make my life a prayer to you. And in the line, there's, there's, there's a line, in the song, there's a line that always makes me chuckle because it hurts, because it's so true. And he sings, well, I want to thank you now for being patient with me. Oh, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. And here in the story, Abram's eyes are on him. He's not thinking about anything else. He's concerned about his own well-being. He could care less about Sarai. He could care less about the implications of Pharaoh. He just wants himself to be taken care of. And so it came about in verse 14, when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Rutro. 
Poor Sarai. Everything's good for Abram, right? He's, he's good. He's doing good. Not so great for Sarai. Verse 16, therefore he treated Abram well. Abram got exactly what he wanted. He, want, he wanted it to go well with him, and it's going well with him in the short term. It went well for him, for her sake, and he gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Not only did they not kill him, but they made him very wealthy. Verse 17, but God. God is going to let him go, have his freedom, operate in the flesh, but God is going to get his attention. But God struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So it went well for Abram, but it's not going so well for Pharaoh right now or his household because of Abram's sin of not trusting God to provide for him and to care for him during the famine. It does seem, and most commentators believe, that God protected Sarai in this moment. Um, This is one of those, I don't have time to unpack this, but here you have a wife desiring to be obedient to her husband, even in this situation where it's like, I don't know that this is the right thing. So it seems like in her obedience to the Lord and trying to go about this, God protects her. Is, is the best like is she goes into this situation, God immediately starts raining down plagues and protecting Sarai. And Pharaoh's like, something's going on here. Like, like what's, what's happening? Verse 18, then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now, now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Now, Pharaoh is a title. This, this is not an individual. This is like saying the president of Egypt. So there's all kinds of pharaohs. This pharaoh, I don't know how you see it, but he seems like a pretty good guy to me. He's like not doing anything that seemed wrong from his perspective. As soon as the situation happens, God begins raining down. He's like, what's going on here? He quickly discovers like, no, you're Abram's wife. And he goes to Abram, take your wife. Why would you do this to me? Like, why would you put us in jeopardy? This is like, why are you assuming the worst of us? And so verse 13, so Abram went up from Egypt. So he went up going north from Egypt to the Negev, which is the Negev desert right in here. He went up from Egypt to Negev and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him. And he's going back to where he started. All this time down south where he was operating in the flesh becomes sort of lost time. That Abraham blew this time wandering in his flesh. And I think a lot of us can say that about our lives, that we wasted time living in our flesh. And God wants us to operate by faith and to redeem the time and to make the most of of the, the lives that we've had. But he's a gracious God. And so we get to verse 2, and it says, Now Abram was very rich in livestock. God still blessed him in his disobedience. In silver and gold, he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel. So he's making his way to the middle of the circle, uh, uh, number 3 there, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. So he goes back to where he started, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar, which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And so the story ends so beautifully. Like you kind of have to, you have to see it. 
Abram blew it. He gets scared by the famine. So, and we've all done this. We've all been scared by something. You don't have enough money to cover the problem or you don't think you do or your car transmission goes out or you fill in the blanks. You have cancer. You have anything. Like We are so creative. You can come up with plenty of things that are your greatest fear and you don't think God's going to respond. So you're going to take matters into your own hands and you're going to go that direction. Well, that's what Abram did. And God let him do it. He blew it big time thinking about himself. And there's beauty in allow, like seeing that God lets him wander and that he gives us room to wander. In the beginning of, of Romans chapter 1, when we talk about uh, humanity and God's creation that was created to worship God and they don't worship God and they go about their own path and they're doing all of these horrible things. And we read in Romans one twenty four. therefore God gave them over to whatever they were doing. And I think that we as followers of Christ, sometimes we just have to let people go their own way. Let them go their way of destruction. Let them go and pray that God would humble them and, and cause them to, to come to a place of repentance that they would return. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that if you're here and you're walking with God, you've experienced this. I know that I have. And there's nothing more powerful. There's nothing more convicting. It's why when I often like worship songs come that I can barely get the words out because I'm getting choked out because God has been so kind and gracious and merciful to me who I'm not deserving of any of it. And if you continue to read just a few more verses in Romans, you come to Romans chapter two, verse four. And there Paul tells them, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. He's saying, don't be so harsh. God doesn't come down with an iron fist saying, love me, love me, love me. If you die today, you're going to hell. No, God says, I love you. I care for you, please. Like this is the answer. And it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. And it's like when you taste the kindness of God and you see his mercy towards you and you feel his grace, it's overwhelming. I, I think this is like the this, this slave trader who penned the words, amazing grace. This is a man who tasted the mercy of God. And I think that through his conversion that God would use him to pen this song that the whole world knows. And so in the midst of this, Sarai also trusted God to work. We don't read that, but I can't help but to see that Sarai through the midst of this, like I'm not a wife, I wasn't in her situation, but to have a husband say, hey, let me just do this so you can just go marry this other guy so I'll be okay. Like, okay, yeah, you know, like, I don't think I would have handled it as well as she did. But to see God, like, take care of her in the midst of her faith, and then God gets Abram's attention, and he returns to the place where he started with God in the land that God had promised. And, And it ends with, then He called on the name of the Lord. There's no mention of any of his turning to God or worshiping God from his departure. I think it was back in verse nine until the spot. And so what do we do do with this passage? When I look at the life of Abram, and I think when we look at these Bible characters and you look at Hebrews chapter 11 of all the heroes of the faith, it's very easy to put these individuals, these men and women on pedestals and to think that they were perfect and they never made mistakes. That is absolutely not the purpose of Hebrews 11. There is only one perfect person in the Bible, and that's Jesus. Everybody else has failures, falling short, making wrong turns, not operating by faith. And so when I look at this story, I'm getting more and more convinced that the story isn't about 
Abram's start, it's about how he finished his life. We move from this story of his like just being hungry to moving down the road a few chapters and God saying, this son that I gave you, your only son, the one that all the promises come through, I need you to make a sacrifice of him. And then he's ready to make the sacrifice before God stops him. At the end of his life, we see this faith. And I think this is the same for us. Just a quote from Rachel. Like maybe it took faith to kill a spider. And then he rescued a possum. I got mixed feelings on the possum situation. But, but she's like out weed whacking now, doing all kinds of stuff. Like, take, like doing hard things. This has been her mantra lately. It's like trusting God through hard things. You do one thing that seems hard at the time. You look back, you're like, ah, oh, that was pretty simple. Like teaching the Bible study at an old person's home. Like I could do that in my sleep now. But God's like saying, no, I need you to do this. Oh, that's terrible. Like, like literally ter- like terrifying. Like, like one of the text exchanges about this trip to Romania in like 10 days or whatever days it is. Chris is like, hey, you want to go into Ukraine? I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. But I kind of like, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Like my former life, I have some things that it might be bad if some Russians get a hold of me. And I don't know how Anna would feel about this. <laughs> but I'm like, let me ask Anna. And I'm like, hey, Anna, what do you think about me going to Ro- into Ukraine? It's a five-hour drive, uh, you know, cross the border, dump off some stuff, and then we can skedaddle. And she's like, ask Chris if he'd take Abby. Abby's his youngest daughter. So I'm like, hey, hey, Chris, Anna wants to know if you take your daughter. And then Chris's response is, eh, we'll scrap that idea. We'll go a different direction. <laughs> it's like, okay, so uh, as cool as I think it would be to go into Ukraine during a war, I'm like, eh, you know, I don't think that's what God wants. None of our journeys are perfect. But, but I believe that today I'm more faithful to God than I was 10 years ago. And my prayer is that you today, tomorrow, grow in your faith and your obedience and like stepping out and doing things that God calls you to do. I think that's the heart of this passage is that God wants us to abide with him, that, to have intimacy and relationship. The apostle John, at the end of his life, he would write in 1 John 2.28 to the church. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you want true peace, true joy, true contentment, it's, it's found in God's hand. And he's gonna stretch us, but we say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on here. I trust you. I'm gonna walk by faith. I don't know how I feel about this, but I truly sense that you're leading me this direction. So teach me, guide me, help me to understand your will so that I would become faithful to you, that I would become obedient to you, that I would be a light to you in this lost world. And so I pray that we would take that from this story. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Abram. This is not a perfect man. This, this, is, this is a man who is normal. This is a man who was set apart because you chose him out of the world. Um, And so, Father, I thank you for these imperfections in his life. I thank you for these times when he wanders in his flesh. And I love that as this story develops, we see that these promises that you gave him and that ultimately we become heirs of in Christ are not done because we're worthy. They're not done because we're good. They're not done because we do anything 
They are done because of you and your character and your desire. And we simply respond by faith. And so I thank you that our relationship with you isn't about what we've done or not done. It's based upon Jesus dying on the cross. And this seems crazy to our intellect. This doesn't make any sense that some guy 2,000 years ago could die on the cross, stand in our place, and that we would be forgiven of our sins. It's, it's so overwhelming to think about and yet so powerful. And so we thank you, Lord, by faith that you sent your son Christ to step out of heaven as God, to become man, to walk on this earth as an example, an illustration to us of who you are, and ultimately to go to that cross as our substitute, that he took on the wrath that was due us, that he absorbed it all, and that we have the opportunity to stand here today forgiven because of what he did by faith. And so, Father, I pray for those that maybe haven't reached this place of faith, that you would help them to connect the dots, that they would reach out, and that if we can help, that we would, we would walk with them on this journey. For those of us who have believed in Christ, Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to journey by faith and obedience, that we would be sensitive to your voice and your leading and our relationship with you and the relationship with our spouses, our parents, our coworkers. Lord, help us to do the things that you desire us to do not because we're trying to earn favor with you, but because we have been so loved by you and we want to be uh, just your servants. We thank you, God, for your gracious kindness to us. And it's in Jesus' good name I pray, amen.